Hey guys, Benji here from the Contractor Evolution Studio. One of the last of the proverbial hats we all remove as business owners is the sales hat. When you think about it, this makes sense, right? Most of us entrepreneurs actually really like sales and we're generally pretty good at it too. Not to mention the idea of finding someone who is gonna sell our services as well as us can seem kind of impossible. Hiring a production team or some administrative support, that's one thing, but handing over sales, the lifeblood of our whole business, well, that can feel like handing over the keys to the entire castle. What if they quote it wrong? What if they overpromise? What if they don't represent our values? It really is a leveraged role and getting it right matters a lot. Today on the show, we have two amazing guests. We've got Mason Marquis of Spraytex Painting. He's a painting contractor in Dallas-Fort Worth. We also are lucky to have Jesse Kreisman of Alco Products. Uh, they're a, an exterior remodeling contractor in the Metro DC area. Oh, and I'm also really stoked to have my co-host Danny Kerr on this one. Now, the reason we wanted these two on the show is that both Mason and Jesse have absolutely exploded their top line revenue in the last few years by making this scary but rewarding leap of removing themselves from sales entirely. They've hired some salespeople. They've also fired some too. Uh, they've implemented some really solid sales infrastructure and they're now seeing predictable revenue roll in, which they'll be the first to tell you it's a pretty cool feeling. Um, they shed light on a bunch of cool stuff. We talk about the inherent qualities you should look for in your first sales hire. In other words, what's the internal makeup of a closer? We talk about how to set up your new sales hires for success with a structured sales training system. And lastly, we explore how they build their sales forecasts and then hold their teams accountable to them. So if you've ever wanted to hire a salesperson or start building a sales team, but you've maybe felt a little nervous to make that jump, this episode is a must listen. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Mason, Jesse, thank you guys so much for being on the show. We are really excited to have you here and talk a bit about building a sales team. Yeah, man. Thanks for having you guys. Look forward to, look forward to Glad to be here. Cool. So I want to hop right into it because we have a lot of stuff to talk about. And my first question, uh, Mason, is for you. So you, over the yeah. past few years, um, have have gone through this this big jump that a lot of contractors go through, which is taking off that last hat, which is often sales, and handing it off to your first salesperson, then building a bit of a sales team. Um, and I'm wondering, like, like, how did you know that this was a necessary step for your business's evolution? Was there a realization that you had that made you go, you know what, I probably can't do all the deals for spray techs from now until the end of time. I got to get this off my plate. Yeah. So I started my company always knowing that I wanted to scale uh, between the e-myth and the business system that I bought. I just knew scaling was inevitable. Um, but sales was particularly hard for me to let go because I loved it. it. It's just truly something I'm passionate about. I felt like I was pretty good at it, connecting with people. And uh, I just knew that at a certain point, I couldn't grow and hit the goals that I wanted to, even if I was at 100% closing rate. Just, uh, there's more value to building a sales team than there is being the best salesperson. And when I realized that, I was probably in my second year, 
just coming out of a slow season and we were producing really predictable results. Um, but those results weren't growing. It was just very consistent. Um, and I decided I was really nervous and reluctant, but I decided to bring on a sales guy. He was very experienced, um, had been doing sales for about 20 years. Mm. And instead of worrying about how I was going to pay him, I had him do ride alongs with me. And I just went ahead and sold the deal and baked in his commission to help keep him afloat. Hmm. Uh, so I, I slowly, slowly, uh, let off the leash and gave him his own appointments. Uh, but that, that's something that I think is really important about that transition is you don't want to hire a sales guy, give all your warm appointments, all your leads to somebody that, uh, basically your entire company's revenues on the line. Hmm. You spoon feed him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. What, what, what's the, what's the risk if you don't do that? Like what, why does, why did you do it that way? Well, we, we had to keep going. We had, uh, we had to eat. I had a production manager to pay for, painters to keep busy. And uh, I did it that way because this individual I hired didn't have any background in uh, painting, home service sales. And I really just needed to kind of test the water, see how he would do. Uh, so it started with maybe you know 20% of the appointments that the company was generating. And then we grew that percentage over time as he uh, created results and I, I gained some trust in him. And I remember there was like a vivid day where I was like, you know what, this week he's running every single appointment. I just got to trust him. Uh, and so we went all in on the guy and he's still with me today and he's been a great sales guy. So good. I, I, I really like this idea of, of easing, easing someone into a role, any role, but sales especially because it's, it's so subtle and it, the stakes are high. So um, that makes a ton of sense to me. Tell me, Mason, like, like, what have you learned since doing this? What are some of the big lessons, the big takeaways, having gone through this process over the last few years? Well, from an efficiency standpoint, I think like shortening that ramp up time is really important. Uh, when you get a new salesperson, uh, they're, they're going to cost you money for, for a good while. And the quicker you can get them producing on their own, selling profitable work, the better. Um, and I'm always trying to improve that, that gap. And the way I, I found for me that works the best is hiring right. I believe when it comes to sales, it's about 90% higher, 10% training and onboarding. Hmm. I know a lot of people would disagree with me, but we're not a big Fortune 500 company that has you know classrooms and months and months on end to get somebody ramped up. So I need somebody to hit the ground running right away. And the way I discovered that is, is find somebody with a proven track record uh, for selling high volume sales, particularly in home. So I'm looking for somebody really specific. Hmm. Can you like, when you say you're looking for someone really specific, can you describe like what, what those essential characteristics sure. are? Like I think because somebody that's listening right now, they're, they're thinking, I know I need to hire a salesperson at some point. And I want them to do an awesome job, but I actually don't know like what the, what the analytical, like scientific approach is. What are the, what are the, the key ingredients that make this person successful? And, and Jesse, Danny, if you guys have thoughts after Mason, please, please add them too. Cause it's such an important point. Yeah. I think, uh, every company culture and every company is going to look for something somewhat different. Um, but there's a few fundamental truths. And I think somebody that's instrumental is really important. What do we uh, mean you want when to we get say a good first impression? 
Let, what what is let's, un, let's unpack instrumental for a second. This is this is sort of breakthrough academy terminology. Sure. But what what does someone with a high instrumental have? This is somebody that's um, really polished, easy to talk to, well spoken, articulate, uh, has a great handshake, good smile. Not by any means your stereotypical salesperson. You're not looking for somebody cheesy or cocky, too mm-hmm. much ego. You're just looking for polish. Mm-hmm. Um, something else I think is really important. I don't know if we talked about it, but it's attainment. Somebody who's really goal oriented. Uh, sales can be a beating, especially in our industry, because these guys are running 20 appointments a week, weekend and week out. And even if you have two or three great weeks in a row, that third or fourth week, you know, the clock resets. You've got to continue to hit your weekly goal and continue to hit your targets. Uh, and that just burns some guys out. That's exhausting for people uh, who don't really want to achieve. So you're looking for someone that's just in, like intrinsically motivated. They're, they're goal oriented. That's kind of the, the, the way that they ca- they the way that they came out and the way that they were raised. Um, sure. I don't know if anyone has ever had a salesperson work for them that doesn't have that. Maybe describe what it looks like from the other side. Somebody who's just a little bit more um, apathetic or, you know what it is? It's easy to find when salespeople take things personally. Yeah. Or they start to get sensitive. That's when you know you don't have somebody that's like really like a winner, a true winner. Mm. When they start making excuses like, oh, these these appointments aren't very good or these customers don't want to buy or it's it's COVID. People aren't wanting to buy right now. These leads suck. Um, the weather's bad. The leads suck. My the toe hurts. Bad. The sun's in my hair. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So like excuses I've heard are like a really good indicator that somebody's not necessarily um, goal oriented. We call them wet noodles, and um, it's it's can be really really difficult to like. You don't want to babysit your sales guys week in week out. Like at some point, you do need to sink or swim. And people, we call it attainment, which is this this goal orientation piece. Um, that's just something that they they have within them. Um, right. It's actually just, these are these are all things you can't train, right? You can't train someone to like goals. You can't train someone to come across as competent so. and like highly presentable. They just exist within them. They're in their DNA, or they're not at all, mm-hmm. right? So I think they've got it already. They can really take away from the rest of the team if they start projecting that outward. You know, their frustrations if they're not hitting their goals and they're blaming it on everything else can definitely have an impact on on the rest of you guys also. Oh, totally. Right, like you got you got one guy that's like that's whining about the leads. All of a sudden, other people start to listen, and you've got kind of a cancer. So, um, what have you got? We got instrumental. So being articulate. Sure. Uh, being polished, speaking clearly, being confident, a strong communicator, but not not cheesy, not salesy. We don't want to think of like that typical sort of slick back hair and like suit style person. It's just someone that is that is good with people. Um, attainment to so the goal orientation piece. What do you think is next, Mason? It's really there's two other components really, and it's uh, someone who's introspective, really willing to take feedback, is coachable. Um, a lot of times in our process, at least salespeople need to tweak and adjust. Uh, our company rolls out new systems, what feels like once a week. So if this person is someone that's really rigid, stuck in their ways, uh, isn't willing to change or be coached, it's just not going to be a good fit. Even, and I've had people that are just closers and they're not coachable or willing to change. And it can be such a time suck. And what I end up feeling like is I'm having to curate or cater to this individual. It's like they're closing, 
they're they're producing, but they may not be checking this one box. They may not be transferring the job the way we do now, or, or they may not be coachable when it comes to pricing in a certain area. Mm. So this piece is, is something I learned, um, over time. It's not something I thought I needed right away, but I think that's one that's overlooked. I totally agree. I like when you have someone like that, you're, you're walking on eggshells around them. And often the time, oftentimes too, like people that have low introspection, which is this, are they coachable piece? They actually are quite good at their role. Like they, they, they close deals for you, but yep. they're kind of a dick and the rest of the team doesn't really <laughs> like them. They're difficult for you to work with. And while they may bring you results short term, culturally, that's not the best fit. That's, that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting when you uh, when you have good people working for you that maybe aren't the best at what they do. You can work with them over time, but if you have guys that close deals all day long, but you just don't get along, that's not a long term play. They're I would work. so much rather have someone that is like super coachable, super open, and actually have like a lower SR, and then work on that over time with that person. I, do you guys feel similarly? Absolutely. Yeah, I have to admit, I I am. When they produce numbers, I do everything in my power to try to justify their behavior. Like this is a weakness of mine. This is truly something that I struggle with. Um, (laughs) It's just, I will excuse people if they're bringing in the revenue. So this is something that I need to work on. I'm really focusing on finding people like this. Fair enough. It's it, you're looking for a bit of a unicorn, but but they do they yeah. absolutely do exist. Okay, so coachability is that third piece. Sure. Was was there a fourth, Mason? There's a fourth and most important, and I saved it for last just because I feel like we need time to discuss it. It's uh, integrity, and we've all got different ideas of what integrity means to them. But when I talk about integrity, I'm talking about word, uh, somebody that honors their word, and this is huge in sales. When they're going out there, you know they could they could train your process day in, day out, you know, score perfect on any comp model. But when they're out in the field, there's just no telling how they're going to represent you. Um, I've had some issues with this integrity component with sales guys I've hired in the past. And I've got people that have a ton of integrity mm. and it just makes a huge impact on the whole team, particularly when it comes to, to sales and production, which are two different silos in my company, the way they work together, that integrity piece is huge. I think I think um, it's it's such an important piece, and I wonder if you have any thoughts around how, like how do you quantify that? And for someone that is listening to this and saying, "Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll look for those four things," the first three are a little bit more straightforward. And we're going to talk about I think a bit more of the interviewing process in a minute here, but let's just focus in on this integrity part. Like, how do you assess whether or not someone has that? Because it's, it's kind of an abstract idea. So when you're sitting down with someone and you're, you're maybe doing a, an initial phone call with someone that's applied to the, to the role or you're doing an interview or a follow-up interview, like how do you figure out, yeah, this person's got integrity? You really need to ask some deep questions about, you know, what makes them tick, particularly like experiences or opportunities where they've faced adversity. Um, ask them about them. Ask, you're really looking for how they answer the question. Um, it's tough to articulate, but you're looking for somebody that can really show that they followed through on something or when they made a mistake, they were able to recognize it and and be transparent about that mistake. Uh, And there's some other things that I do that are a little bit more technical. So I'll have people do three interviews with me. 
Mm-hmm. And the third one is with my office manager. And each interview is at a different time, same location. And I'm looking to see how they communicate with me. So good salespeople will say, okay, great. Got the time, got the address. I'll see you at this time. Mm-hmm. And they'll even text, I'm on my way. And then they'll show up five minutes early. Those little pieces are things that I'm looking for. And they have to do it three times in a row. And when they get really exact and they show up on time, they're prompt, they communicate well. If something comes up, which happens, hey, this came up, I can't make it on time. Can we reschedule? Can I come 15 minutes late? That's huge to me. Somebody that gets in front instead of just showing up late. So I've had that happen. I've ended up hiring somebody that, you know, had to show up late, but they communicated it to me in advance. That's awesome. Do you have any thoughts on, on how to, how to find that Denny? Yeah. You've hired and worked with so many salespeople. Like what have you learned about this? I just asked them, can you keep your word? And they say, yeah. And I'm like, perfect. (laughs) It's not that easy. (laughs) Um, Yeah. A couple things. I mean, one is in Mason, you're hitting on it right now, but I'll actually ask them to do something for me. Right. Hey, can, can you check out this section of our website? And I would just love to hear your thoughts on it later on next interview. So it's a little test. Yeah, just get like, and, and it's more just like, I, I, I don't tell them I'm testing them. I'm just like, could you check this out? I'd actually love to get your feedback on this. We just wrote this up on the website last week. Uh, maybe the next time we'll chat a bit more about it. I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Mm-hmm. And I just want to know whether they did or not, right? Mm-hmm. And then when we come back to the next interview, I'll ask them a bit about it. So what did you think? And either they're giving me lots of insight because I know they read through it or that's very, very bland and very like, they didn't, they didn't get into it because they didn't give it a lot of thought, right? So totally. the, the other thing generally... Mason, what you're talking about, integrity is one of many what we might look at as values inside of people. And so they're always the hard things to find because it's like, well, you can ask them directly, like, do you have these values? And people can just say yes or no. Yeah, like, are, are you honest? And like, that's <laughs> like, definitely this is great. I'm for sure. That's great. Super. Yeah. 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 Ten. yeah. Um, I usually look at where they've been challenged in these areas and I'll ask them straight up, you know, where in the past have you been extremely challenged or you, you have not been able to keep your word? In what situ- situation did that happen? And I'll see what they can get. Give me some good examples because I'm I'm asking for the hard stuff. Totally, yeah, so, it's uncomfortable for them. Yeah, and if somebody says that's never happened, I've always kept it. You you can also probably tell that they're they're full yeah, of it. I'll give you an example where I wasn't able to. Yeah, and I'll lend, I'll lend yeah. myself to that vulnerability so you feel comfortable to do the same. Yeah, and then I can see through that story what that really looks like. I love that. That's su- that is such a good point, right? So when you're interviewing, when you're interviewing a salesperson for the first time, you're looking for instrumental, which is pretty straightforward. Do they look a certain way? Do they sound a certain way when they talk? You can tell pretty quickly whether or not someone has instrumental. Check that box. We talk about attainment. So I think in that instance, you're looking for examples of when they've set goals for themselves in the past. So someone with an athletic background, someone from the military, someone that was really good in school because they were very driven to sort of like achieve a certain uh, a certain grade. You're going to see you're going to see evidence of them setting and trying to hit goals in their past. What was the third one we said? Instrumental attainment introspective introspection so how would you quantify if someone is like is that something that you can ask questions around to find out if they're coachable or is that just like a vibe that you get like how do we how do we assess that in an interview that's a tough one like i said this is one that i'm this is a new discovery of mine yeah so this is something i've learned i've needed um i'm gonna have to get creative with it it's what i've learned though is the longer you spend with people up front the better so if you spend 
you know, three one and a half hour interviews with somebody, you're probably going to find out whether or not they're coachable. Yeah. You, you could, you know, what you should do is in the interview is get like, give someone some coaching. Like, Hey, this is what you should do. Like, I'd really <laughs> love it. If you could do this in the next interview, show up in this way or do this differently and see how they respond. I'll tell you two things actually. So one is I go into, <laughs> tell me big arguments you've had in the past. Yeah. That's awesome. Tell me what, what, like what happened? Why did they feel that way? Why do you think they were thinking that way? What happened next? And I want to understand how much they know about that person. I don't even care who was right or wrong. Mm-hmm. I want to know how much they actually took the time to understand what that person was thinking through that argument. An introspective person will objectively look at things and say, I know where I stand. I also really understand where they stand. And then they'll make an opinion. A non-objective person will just look at their point of view and tell you all the reasons why they were right. And the other person was a total you know, dweeb. Totally. Right? <laughs> totally. That's great. Yeah. I, I find that people that are not super coachable, what you'll find is that um, when you when you ask them about their previous work experiences, tell me about your 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 bosses that you've worked for. Tell me about other coworkers that you've worked with. There's a pattern of everyone else being an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that is like usually a sign that that person is not super coachable. Something going on here. Yeah, you're like, what's 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 like one thing that's been all these situations? Well, maybe it's you. So we t- we talked about this coachable piece, and then lastly, you're looking for integrity, which I think is so important. And Danny's saying, you know, ask them about moments in the past when they've made be broken their word and, and what happened there and what they learned from it and, and have them expand on that. And I think that you're going to, you know, if, if you can check those four boxes, you, you have done your job and the chances of you being successful with this new sales hire are so much higher than just saying, oh, I showed up for his interview. He seems like a good guy and he worked for a sales company before. So let's give it a shot. Um, right. Jesse, you've got this really, I've heard you talk about this, this thing, you, like you're looking how do you say you're not so much looking for extroverts. You actually want ambiverts. I'm wondering if you could just like unpack that whole set of ideas for us. Cause it's really compelling. And I don't think most people think about this. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times people think that there's just two types of people, introverts and extroverts. And we're always told extroverts make great salespeople because they're outgoing and they're friendly and they're easy to talk to. Uh, but what, the downside to being an extrovert is you can take things personally and you take those, those no's personally and they get to you. And, you know, in sales, we, you know, we get told no five, six, seven out of 10 times on a good week. Um, and you know, while introverts are too quiet, there is a third type and that's an ambivert. And an ambivert is someone that shares, you know, the qualities of an extrovert. They can talk to anyone. Uh, they're likable. They're, they're personable. Um, they can be your friend in that sales setting, but, they don't get their energy from people necessarily and they don't need to be your friend like an introvert. So they can be your friend in the sales setting, but they don't take it personally when you say no. And they're in some ways, they're a little, um, they're not uh, subject to as many, uh, as many cold streaks because extroverts, when they, when they get those no's so many times, they, they, they can build on each other. Hmm. Have you, do you have a few ambiverts in your organization that are doing sales for you now? Yeah. So before I interview anyone, I actually have them fill out a a personality profile. Hmm. Um, And so I actually look for that. And it's not to say that I won't interview an extrovert or an introvert, um, but it is something I look for. Um, The other thing, you know, the personality profile that you use can also tell you how adaptable someone is and how hardwired someone is. So if someone is maybe, um, you know, a not hardwired introvert or not a not hardwired extrovert, um, they're, Someone in the middle that might lean one way, I'll bring those people in for an interview as well. Um, but it's definitely something you can you can find out about before you interview someone. 
What's the what's the personality test that you guys use? Uh, we use the MPO. Okay, MPO. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Any other thoughts on that, Denny? Uh, Jesse, you're hitting on something that I I've never thought about it actually the way you just said it, which is really cool. I look at something as do I have an opener in front of me or do I have a closer? And there's actually often two different types of salespeople. Farmers I find. and hunters. Totally. Yeah. And yeah. you you see it where you're like. This person will talk to anybody and, and is shameless and actually has a lot of fun getting to know people, but they don't like to close the deal because they're afraid of damaging the relationship. They're just relationship builders. They totally. just love it, right? Totally. And then there's other types of people that actually don't like to introduce themselves and present themselves to somebody who they don't really know because they feel like they're not going to have the authority because they're giving it up by, by chasing somebody. But they don't mind closing deals and damaging a relationship at the end if they have to because... For them, it's not about the relationship. It's about moving forward with the plan and trying to figure out somebody. So totally. there's, and even in our team, like we've seen it at BTA, at Breakthrough Academy, we have people on our team that are absolutely incredible openers and people who are absolutely incredible closers and some people that are both. And those might be a little bit of what you're talking about, even Jesse, or a bit of maybe ambiverts even in some way. So do, do you guys have like, you know, um, Jesse, you're, you're running sort of an exterior construction company, pretty high end. Mason, you're, you're painting again, pretty high end. Like with the clientele that you serve, the market you work within, the service that you're providing, is there is there one of those things like, like are you looking for a hunter or are you looking for a farmer? Are you looking for an opener or do you need a closer? Like, is there one of those profiles that kind of works for you guys better? Well, unfortunately, you need someone that's a mix of both, um, especially I think the clients that we're going after um, they can, they can tell when someone's being really salesy and they don't appreciate it. Um, they don't want it and they don't like it. Um, they want someone that's consultative. Um, you know, so you need someone that can be personal and be friendly and, and engage with the client and, and, and get to know them and, and, um, kind of break down that barrier, um, and gain their trust. But, but at the same time, their job is to sell. And so they do need to be able to close when it comes down to it. Um, I think the key is finding someone that has a bit of both traits. And uh, like Mason said earlier, if they're coachable, um, you can teach them how to close. Um, but it's definitely nice to have both of those traits if you can. Cool. So you just said something, you, you, you can teach them how to close. And um, that is a good segue into sort of another section of this conversation, which is talking about really high performance onboarding programs. And Jesse, I want to start with you on this conversation. Um you know, you work with, with coach Braden, like we've worked with you for under just under a year now with breakthrough Academy. And like, we're just like blown away at, at how structured and how supportive, um, an environment you create for your new sales hires. Like you, you guys are doing a lot more than printing some business cards and having them read some company policies. So tell us, I, I want to get into like the actual blocks. Like, like what do you do? But first just like explain to us why you decided to invest so many company resources into this onboarding process. Sure. So the key to, in my opinion, the key to building a great business is building a great team. Uh, and that's not something that's easy to do. It's really easy to build a or to ruin a great team, but it's not easy to build a great team. And uh, building a great team starts with onboarding and bringing those people in and making them making them feel like they're part of the team from day one. Uh, and so having a having a structured uh, you know system and process oriented on, onboarding approach just keep doing that. 
So it's it's like it's it's about culture. Like the skills will come later, and we'll get to that. But it's it's really important for you guys to create an environment where people can support each other, not be competitive. Um, and so that's that's kind of why you've decided to invest in it. Why don't you take us through uh, what it actually looks like? Like if if I if I just been hired by Alco Products to come and sell for you guys, like what would my what would my you know, onboarding process look like? What is my first two weeks? What am I going to experience? Who do I talk to? What, what can I expect to learn? Kind of walk us through that a bit. Sure. So, you know, onboarding actually starts before the new hire actually comes in the door. So first thing to do is let the team know, and, and this is something that gets missed so often, and you have a new hire show up and no one in the company knows who they are or what their role is. So, you know, it starts before they walk in the door. You got to tell your team, you got to get their desk set up, have their phone set up, their business cards, have a, have a welcome package, uh, company shirts, swag, uh, you know, a welcome sign, a signed card by the team. And, and instantly when they see that and they walk in, they know they're part of the team and they've only been there for a couple minutes. And then after that, uh, it's, we have a pretty structured, uh, structured approach um, for salespeople specifically though. We don't even have them start doing any sales training until about on the fourth day. Um, we want them to learn the entire business, uh, how we do things, how we install things, our admin process, our marketing process, everything that goes into to Alco. Huh. So they're out in the field with our production managers. They might be answering the phones up front with their office manager, you know, seeing a bit of the marketing side of the business with a marketing manager. And so really getting a, an entire picture of the business. Like they're even on site, like you're sending them to job sites to see how the production process works, to see how your your project managers use their systems, to see how the technicians install siding and, and, and windows and what have you. Yeah. So I actually, I'll have them go out with our project managers the first three days to different sites um, and tell them, you know, don't wear, don't wear your button downs and your khaki pants, throw on jeans, boots and be out in the field. Uh, you know, we do things differently than a lot of our contractors. We're serving that high end market and it's, it's easy to tell someone that but they don't absorb it the same way. When you have them actually see it and you know see the job site cleanliness, the, the attention to detail, that stuff re- really reinforces what we're trying to sell. I think too that they, they must they must learn more about the impact that they have on the rest of the organization, right? Like if they see how how hard the rest of the team is working and, and what's involved. Um, there's context there that you wouldn't get if you just skip that. I feel like the likelihood that they're going to underbid a job or overpromise a customer is way less because they're like, whoa, this is like, this is not just me. This is way bigger. Um, have you found that that, you know, the fact that you sort of uh, put them on the site has, has led to a little bit more almost like sales to production understanding? Absolutely. Uh, it really helps them uh, get a get a bigger picture of what production's job is, um, especially when you have guys come from, you know, different remodeling companies that might not be serving the same type of clientele we're going after. Um, we obviously price things differently. We're going to generally be more expensive than your average window or signing company. Granted, we're selling a different type of product. Um, but when you've, when you've been doing that for a couple of years, it can be tough to, to get out of that mindset. You know, it's, to them, it's just windows. You're just installing a window or you're just installing siding. But when you're on site and you see that level of detail, it really kind of brings that home that, that we are different and what we're selling is different. They'd be able to speak to the process way more clearly. I, I, I totally get it. And, I, you know, they don't need to do it for years, just a, a few days, a shot in the arm. They get it and, and they're going to sell at a higher level uh, as a result. So when they like when they're moving to the stage where they're doing their first estimates or, or ride alongs or like what is what is their first interaction with your guys's sales process actually look like for a new sales hire? 
So after they've been on site, after they've had a bit of the, the marketing onboarding and the admin onboarding, that's when we really start to get into sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really starts with an overview. And again, that overview is about the fact that we're consulting the client. We're not just trying to sell them something. Um, and then it really goes into ride-alongs and, and role-playing and then videotaping themselves. Um, and we really believe that that it's 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 a lot easier to see yourself uh, sell and, and learn how to sell and learn how to sell our way when you're, when you're able to see someone else do it or videotape yourself and see yourself do it. And you, you really quickly can see when you're videotaping yourself and watching that recording that sometimes you might come across as a little salesy when you think you're coming across as consultative. Um, and, and that's a big thing that we're trying to break in the guys that we bring in if they've been doing it for a while for someone else. You guys, you guys make them watch recordings. Yeah. I, I want, I want guys to record themselves you know, pretend they're selling that someone's across the table. Um, no one has to be sitting in the room with them, but put their webcam on and record themselves. That's so Act like they're selling good. Because you can, you, what, you know, we always think that we're saying something different. Especially in sales, we always think we're saying something different. We always yeah. think it, it comes across differently. When you see yourself recorded, oh. you know what you're doing. It's the worst. I watch, I watch my webinars. I watch my, my assessments back over. And every time I'm just like, I thought I sounded so smart there. And I look like a total donkey. It's like, but it's, it's so good. It's so good because you can, the feedback you're able to give yourself is so specific. Yeah. Just, and it's great too. When you have those recordings, you can share them with the team. And, and when you build that great team, you're, you're, everyone's willing to help, you know, and, and, you know, you can get input from the other sales guys and, and that's really helpful as well. It's, it's unpretentious. Everyone is willing to look at their shit and l- like look at parts of their, their, their sales game that isn't as good as it could be. Um, and I think, I think having like a, a learner's culture like that is, is huge. Danny, were you going to say something there? I was going to say, Jesse or Mason, do you, do you guys do any online sales? Do you ever meet customers online now with this whole pandemic thing going on? That's a huge opportunity I've seen for our team too, where we record everything we possibly can. We have a file online where we all, we all have all of our stuff saved. And then not only can we check our own out, like you're just saying, our team can check each other's stuff out and we learn from each other. Yeah. Like we can actually see is our language even similar. Are we saying things differently? Are we saying things in the same way and not only review our own, but review our teams as well. So. Mm-hmm. You guys have built um, like a, a serious practice culture at Alco, haven't you? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I tend to use the sports analogy a lot, but, um, athletes practice before they go into games. Um, if right. you take the NFL, for example, you play on Sunday, you have a walkthrough on Monday, maybe you get Tuesday off, but Wednesday's practice with pads, Thursday's practice with pads, Friday's and the walkthrough, Saturday's game plan, then you play on Sunday. With sales, we tend to practice when it's our game. We practice our sales during sales appointments. And while it's great that you learn something, I, I can't stand when I hear a sales guy say, I learned so much in that appointment, but I didn't close it because they just learned something on a $300 leap. So <laughs> it's really important that the guys are practicing when they're not actually with clients. And, and, and that's huge. So good. Curious, curious, what do you do with guys who were getting results, but then they've kind of hypothetically lost their mojo? So I think that really, that side of it, you know, is you find that out in the one-to-one um, GSR meetings. Um, and the first thing that I always do in my one-to-ones is I just do a check-in with the guys. I don't even really care at that point about the numbers. I just want to know how they're doing. With sales, um, a lot of sales guys are very extrinsically uh, motivated. Um, they have a lot of things going outside in their personal lives. And the sales job, the sales role can be impacted by that. Uh, so the first thing I do in a one-to-one is to check-in. And, and because a lot of sales guys are, are willing to talk, they usually will open up to you. 
Um, and so it's about making that personal connection with your sales guy as, as their sales manager uh, and, and making sure that they know that, that, you know, or that they have trust in you, that if they open up to you, um, you're not just going to come down on them for having a bad week or a bad month, but you mm-hmm. actually care. Totally. Cool. And Mason, for you, like any other just sort of key insights or things um, that you want to share around that that early stage of of having a new salesperson? Like, what are you doing in your training process? How do you set them up for success? I think what you just touched on, Jesse, is huge. Um, I think building a good relationship with your team, making sure that you build trust and aligning their personal goals with the company goals and making sure that uh, the company is able to support them and, and give them what they want and need out of life. I think that's huge. Most of the time when my guys are having sales slumps or underperforming, it's likely something personal mm. uh, and it's likely something the business can really support them on. Talk, so talk to us a our, bit more about that. Like I, I've, you know, I've, I've heard you talk about like you even, you like know the personal like life goals of your salespeople and, and your business is almost a vehicle to achieving that. Like it's not just, hey, hit these numbers because there are goals. It's like, who are you as a person? What do you want to see out of your life and how, how can we make that happen together? Like just unpack that whole idea for us because that to me is, uh, that's what separates the men from the boys when we're talking about high performance sales management. Yeah, I think it's huge. I was actually just, I had a team meeting before this and we were talking all about 2021 goals. Um, by no means is it mandatory for my team to share with me their personal life or their, their personal goals. But we've created a culture where um, it's just kind of, it's normalized. Everybody loves talking about what they have going on and uh, everyone feels really strongly supported, whether it's breaking a bad habit or creating a new good habit. Um, our whole culture is just about using the business and our team to give us uh, kind of what we want out of life. And it's really important that I know my people on a personal level and I can support their goals. And sometimes that means holding them accountable and you get to, uh, they'll let you know where they want the line held on their personal goals. Obviously you can only support them uh, professionally, but sometimes they do want to be held accountable on, let's say the gym, like, some of my guys want to go to the, the gym three or four times a week and I'll check in with them on our GSR meetings. I'll put in my calendar, did you go to the gym? Did you spend time with your, your daughter? Did you spend time with your son? Because those are, they need to meet their needs. That, that comes back to integrity. Those are things that they know to do. And if they're not doing them, it's going to impact their performance in the field. Right. If they're, that's, that's the key thing you just said. If they're not doing those things, it's going to impact their performance in the field. If they're not looking after them, themselves, their body, their mental health, their sleep, their family, um, probably their spirituality and whatever else, that, like you're going to see that in your sales forecast. Right. So good. Um, I got a, I got a couple just like quick points, quick hits on, um, the, like the training process of, of salespeople because I've been trained and I have trained and there's a couple of things I've noticed, um, that people do. So the, the first thing that like a business owner who is listening to this, who is thinking about hiring their first salesperson needs to know is that there is going to be a natural drop in SR right? Like, like, like you, the, you've hired someone and you're the, you are the, as the owner have done sales for however long, there's a certain level of clout 
There's a product understanding. There's an excitement level and a passion level that is going to take much longer to nurture in this new salesperson that you have. And that's okay. Like don't, don't panic because you hire a salesperson and in their first three months, you know, they're closing at 33% and you were closing at 45%. Like all's not lost. That happens. I was actually going to say on top of that, it's, it's quite important for anyone who's bringing on a sales team, especially if it's their first time bringing on a sales team, you can really jeopardize and alienate them by being like, I expect results tomorrow because I need to get leads tomorrow. I need to get sit. Like there's a pressure on the owner to be able to perform because the business, it's the lifeblood for the whole company. And when you're starting to make that first transition ever, it's like, I still need to make these sales yeah. though. You're like, <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't screw this, mess up. this up. And and the pressure is huge, right? <laughs> for, for a lot of new guys, that that is unneeded. Pre- that's not going to help them learn. And I remember for myself, even in the first couple of years of bringing on my first sales team, I had to learn to like let go a little bit. It's, I call it the Chinese finger trap thing. When you when you pull too hard and you're just asserting your con- too much control, your that energy is not good for yeah. training or for helping somebody learn and develop. When you let go a little bit and you just say it's okay, like we're going to let these ones be learning examples, and you almost prepare for that in your business as you're growing to to bring somebody in. Um, it helps a lot. I used to do something called kamikaze estimates. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell us what kamikaze <laughs> estimates. They're basically like we're going in and we could blow this thing up and we don't really care. This one lead, even though it cost us $300 to generate or whatever it was, this is an example for us to learn from, yeah. not for us to book the job. And helping them let go was huge, especially in the beginning. Or I'll even say this. Or down the road, I might have somebody a year in with me and I can tell they're struggling with something and they put too much pressure on themselves. I need to let them let that pressure go. And I'm like, look, we're going to go do this quote together and I don't care if you book the job. Now, I don't always do that, but I do that when I can tell pressure is actually the problem itself. Right. Yeah. Like I said, uh, to be clear, Danny's not advocating for, for like every <laughs> estimate. <laughs> just, 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 you know what? just have a good time <laughs> and, and just do your best. That's not what he's saying. But, but like when you can tell that this learner really needs that, they need the pressure taken off for a second, it's actually good to give them sort of a, uh, a sandbox to play around with. Just, just go focus on this one specific thing, forget about the outcome. Um, the other thing that I see new sales managers or owners do a lot when they're training new salespeople is there's a tendency to overcoach. So they, they give way more feedback to a new person than they can handle. You as the owner have been selling for a long time. You know your process, hopefully perfectly, and this new person does not. So when you observe them in a ride along the first time they do a quote or an estimate, there's going to be 20 things that you notice that are off all the way from how they said hi at the door, the rapport they built, how they understood the needs, the questions they asked, how they closed at the end. There's going to be so many things that are not perfect yet. Um, They don't need to hear all of that from go. Give them one thing to work on for a few estimates and then come back to see if they've learned it. So sort of like when I, like I'm a, I'm a terrible golfer and I've, I've had a lesson before and he was like, He's like, oh yeah, your swing is terrible, obviously. But for the next hundred swings, all I want you to think about is the way you grip the club and just do that a hundred times. And then he came back and then we talked about my, my feet placement and how I kept my eye on the ball, but it was, it was incremental. It was done in stages. So one of them, like one of the highest impact sales coaching events I ever had, it was two hours long. We did an estimate and the only piece of feedback I got to work on was your rapport build was too short. <laughs> 
you went straight into business. You started asking about them about their home and like talking about pricing and products and they weren't really comfortable with you yet. So all you need to do for the next 30 estimates is build rapport for 25 minutes. Set a timer on your phone. Like you, you have to do that. Once that's done, we'll work on the rest of it. But that one piece of advice literally created a 10% bump in SR. Like I closed way more deals just from doing that one thing to say nothing of the feedback that followed later on. But it's, it's very, it's a natural tendency to be like, you did all these things wrong. Here's 20 pieces of feedback. People can't do anything with that information. So I think a little bit at a time is, is way more effective. Jesse, I wanted to go, I wanted to go to you for a sec on, um, like the, the ongoing management piece. We talked a little bit about your onboarding process, the warm welcome, the training they receive in those first few weeks. What does your actual management system look like longer term? So how often are you meeting your people? Do you do team huddles? Do you do one-on-ones? What do you talk about? Just like take us through um, the sales management systems that you guys lean on that drives performance. Yeah, so we do a we do both. We do a, a team meeting every week, and then we do a one to one GSR every week. Um, I think it starts with setting goals. Um, so uh, when that new hire, that new sales guy first joins, uh, having them write down their goals, and I think that's big is writing them down, not just not just speaking them. So you have something that you can go back to, um, having them write down their goals, and then uh, coming up with team goals. So you know, setting a, a monthly sales goal based on what what obviously the company needs, but what each individual in, what each individual sales guy wants to hit. Uh, and from there, you can go through that as a team. You can you can work to achieve that goal as a team. And then in your one-to-ones with your individual sales guy, that's where you can really break it down. And so what we do also is we have a, a shared document. We call it a sales pipeline uh, between myself as a sales manager and each sales guy. Mm-hmm. And so I can see the leads are going on, the statuses that, you know, what where they are in the process. And what that is, is not really to even keep track of them and keep tabs on them, but it's, it's to figure out how I can help them close those jobs. Um, and how I can better support them. So they'll put notes on there about they need a, a reference for this. They need a, a, a customer wants to drive by a previous job and see that. And, and it, it allows me as their manager to help help them close those jobs. Cool. So you've got a feedback loop. Where where do you like? Uh, is that in CRM? Is it a spreadsheet? Like what do you? What's the tool that you use? So we use. I mean, we use a CRM to keep track of of all of our clients and our, in our sales metrics, but I just, the sales pipeline is just on Google sheets because it allows, it allows myself and the sales guys to really quick add notes and for everyone to see, you know, what, what's going on. Mm-hmm. Okay. Instantaneous kind of, you know, feedback. Cool. And you can tag people in it. So you know, it gives you notification. And so, the, you know, it's one of the simpler, simpler tech pieces we use, but it works great. So you like by doing that, you're shifting your relationship with your sales guys more to a coach from a boss to go back to a sports analogy or using the data from the field, the tracking that you do to inform the feedback and coaching that you give them. And that's a way more supportive relationship for these guys and girls than saying, ah, oh, you missed your goals. Do better next week. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they know that you're looking at the numbers. Yeah. Your sales team knows that, but, but you don't need to, you know, they, they don't, you, they don't need you to reinforce that. Right. Mm-hmm. That's for us to do, um, you know, always keep track of the numbers, but they need to know that you're there to help them. And ultimately if you're there to help them, it's going to help the company succeed. Yeah. Okay. I got, I got another thing I, I really want your guys' thoughts on, cause this is a pitfall. I see a lot of times, um, someone is, you know, at this jump, they're ready to bring on their first salesperson 
and they haven't actually established a sales process yet or like a structured system to follow. So they hire somebody that maybe has all those things, Mason. Maybe they do have an instrumental. They've got high instrumental. They have high attainment. They're coachable. They have integrity. Great. But then we're like, hey, just just like follow me around for a while and figure out what I do. And there's all of these subtle things, these cues, these questions that get asked. There's body language. There's 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 a process that the the this contractor, this owner maybe doesn't even realize that they're doing. And so the coaching that to someone else is really, really difficult. And then three months later, you know, this person's selling at 7%. They're closing 7% of their deals. The owner's unbelievably frustrated. This new salesperson feels totally unsupported and lost. Talk about like the role that a well-structured sales process plays within this whole like finding new salespeople uh, challenge that we're, we're kind of discussing right now. Yeah, I wouldn't even go about hiring somebody without a well-established sales process. Um, I, don't, I don't even think it's, you're rolling the dice. You're basically banking on hiring somebody that's naturally good, uh, super coachable like we talked about, but it, that's not a scalable way to run a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's, I didn't even start my business without a, a sales process. So I, I bought a sales process as, as part of uh, the investment in starting my company. I've tweaked it. I've, I've made it my own, uh, but I think it's huge. There's just, there's things that need to be done in a repeatable fashion and it needs to be communicated to your sales guy clearly. Um, so that each person that comes on board uh, is presenting a very similar experience to the customer. It's consistency in your product. You're not, you're not exactly. terrified that your three different salespeople are doing it completely different ways. I'll say, I'll say this too. Like you find Jesse and actually Mason, I'd love to hear this from you. These, we talked a lot about what salespeople are great at. What are natural salespeople actually really bad at? Usually. What do you think that is? What do you think? Follow up. Sure. Details. Details. Follow up. All the, all the in-between stuff. Right. And you find the best guys who understand people really well and can find needs and handle objections and talk to customers and build relationships. They struggle without a system because they need something to hold them together. (laughs) Otherwise the whole thing just falls apart and they might do a great job selling, but like you just said, no follow-ups done because there's no process to do that. Or they might do a great job, you know, getting leads, but they can't actually book a time with a client because they can't, figure out how to show up on time Yeah, without a good sales process. Great salespeople who understand people very well can fall down. And, and they so, do. Yeah, they do. Like sales is very methodical. I think, I think like people forget how formulaic it is. It's, it's literally the exact same series of steps you do every time you build rapport with someone, you make them like you, you build some trust, you ask them some thoughtful questions, you figure out what they need you talk about your product in a compelling enough way that makes them think that you can deliver on that for them. And then you ask them for some money. And if they say no, you call them a week later. Like, <laughs> like that literally, that's, it's, that's that every single time. You could be selling airplanes. You could be selling paint jobs. It doesn't really matter. It's going to be some sequence of that. There may be a few tweaks to some of the steps. Maybe it's longer, maybe it's shorter. But I still, like having done thousands, literally thousands of reps now of, of assessments and estimates and different like sales meetings. I have a, like a checklist right in front of my computer every time I go on zoom to, to do a, to do a deal. I, I don't like do it from the, the head at all because I need something to fall back on and I'm terrible at details and I forget things all the time. So 
to me, it's like that of everything that we've talked about today, it's one of the most core pieces of infrastructure you would need before you go out and bring, like even do the interview is think through what are those steps for you and your business that's going to lead to a really predictable uh, result. That's going to lead to a 40% closing ratio every time. What a good question, uh, Mason and or Jesse. Like when you have a new person coming on and you're training them and you're working with them and it's not working out, when do you know to to, to mm, let them go? That's such a good question. I think that's that's probably one of the toughest, if not the toughest parts of being a sales manager. Um, because like we talked about earlier, you got to give them time to learn your system and learn your process, especially if it's different than what they've been doing before. Um, you know, it's obviously you can set up, you know, set targets, but for when you want them to have certain amount of jobs closed and, and whatnot, but that is definitely the toughest. I've always found that if they can follow the steps, cause, cause like Mason, we, we, we purchased the sales program. That was yeah. one of the first things we did uh, when we were starting a group business and we've tweaked it over time, but it has steps that have to be followed and that are different than a lot of other sales systems, especially in our industry. And if they can't follow the systems and they're not getting the results, they can't follow the steps and they're not willing to learn how to follow the steps. Mm-hmm. That's usually the tell for me, but if they follow the steps and they follow the process, even if they're not closing, I'm, I'm willing to give that person more time because I, I have trust in my hiring process. And I know that if I've hired the right guy and, and they're following the steps with, with more experience, usually those sales will come. Totally. So it's almost like you're like, you know what? You may not be as skilled as I need you to be. I can work on that. But if you're not committed, we can't work on that. Exactly. Like I, like I said earlier, I think you can teach someone how to close if you're willing to. Um, and if you have the tools in the, in the system and in, in the steps for them to follow. But you can't teach someone how to listen and you can't teach someone how to learn. You know, like Mason said, you need someone that's coaching. Huge. This is, this is so good, guys. Like these, these are all the gold nuggets, I think, that are going to help people avoid some serious icebergs when it comes to bringing on their first salesperson or, or building a sales team. And, um, I want to sort of like getting close to the end. I, w- I want to wrap with a, a fairly open-ended question here to get all your guys' thoughts on. But if you put yourself in the shoes of, of someone who's listening to this and they're at that stage, they're ready to make the jump. What advice do you have for them? Um, what would you say to someone that is is scared of doing this because they're going to, you know, hey, they, they may not sell as much as I do, or um, maybe they're going to overpromise, or maybe they're going to make an estimate, uh, make a mistake on the estimate and we won't make money on that job. Or maybe I'm going to train this person and they're going to leave and go start their own business. Like it, this is a scary jump for, for a lot of people and you guys have gone through it. So what's, what's the advice or the perspective that you would share with someone that is ready for that jump, but nervous about doing it? I think it's really important that this person, um, realizes that they are going to fail. You're absolutely going to make some bad hiring mistakes. Uh, you've got to keep your goal in mind and, you know, hit it any means necessary and you're going to end up going through people. Maybe you'll get lucky and the first salesperson you hire works out great. Uh, That did happen to me, but I've had many bad hires in between uh, then and now. So I think it's important that, you know, your business will survive. If you've got uh, a good infrastructure in place, great people on your team, it will survive a bad salesperson. Um, You just need to be willing to continue to persevere and be willing to fail. You're going to learn a lot from your failures. 
And then the other advice I would give them is start your hiring before you need somebody. Mm. You don't want to have too many appointments that you can't run them all yourself and you just, you're desperate to hire somebody. Um, that's, that's a good way to make a hiring mistake. And then the other thing is I would slow down and if I would slow down and not hire if you're not 100% sure about it. So if you're interviewing people um, and you're just not certain about any one of them, continue to interview more and more people until you have that, that certainty because it's a lot easier to spend time on the front end than work somebody bad out on the back end. Amazing. You know, it's funny. My, uh, my first sales hire could not have worked out worse, but ended up being one of the, one of the best learning lessons for me. And, and in some ways I'm, I'm, I'm glad it happened. Um, so I always like to, I always like to think back on that experience. I think my the things I would tell someone is, is, is pick your process, build your systems and then stick to it. You know, when you bring those people in, you got to have those, those, that sales system, you got to have that stuff already in place. And if you don't have that, I don't necessarily think you're ready to um, because you need to be able to give that sales person the tools to, to, in order to succeed. Um, but once you have that system picked, whatever it is, you know, make sure it works for your business to trust it. Um, and if you do, if you do the homework, setting that stuff up, you might make some bad hires, but, but again, it, it's a long-term game. It's a numbers game and over time you'll win more often than you than not. So good. Dan, anything to add? Um, I see a lot of people, they prolong the the time it takes to actually bring totally. somebody into the business to totally. do this. And this becomes like the last thing they let go of. And they're kind of like, well, no, like it's, it's my thing. Like yeah. this is what I do the best and I got to keep doing it. And, and they hold on to it probably a couple of years longer than 100%. they actually should. See it all the time. And I'll just say to all those people who feeling that or are, are, are guilty of that, I want you to ask one thing. First, I want you to look at people as an asset versus a liability. And I'll say this to you to help you with your brain on this one. How much can one person book in a year as far as new sales? And then realize for every year that you don't have that person in their role, that is lost opportunity cost that you'll never even realize and see again. And that's one more year past that you wouldn't have brought in those sales, brought in that next sales guy and move forward. I think it's organic and natural for, for owners to be that the best sales guy and to be, have to be the last thing you delegate out. But I do think because it's, you know, a very emotional thing to let go of people usually wait one or two more years than they should have. And there's huge opportunity and cost in doing that. So guys, that is like such incredibly valuable advice for someone to hear who is, who's about to navigate these waters. Uh, I think that's probably a really good place to end it. Um, Thank you guys so much for doing this. Uh, we really appreciate you spending the time and, and we hope that you come back and do one of these again soon because this has been just chock full of gold nuggets and I'm sure there's more. It's great meeting you guys. Good chatting. Awesome. Thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. See ya. Awesome. Hey, if you enjoyed this show, hit that subscribe button. It's what allows us to produce more awesome content for you totally for free.